Uh, right, uh, if you've got your Bibles, please, will you turn to uh, Matthew's Gospel and chapter 21. <clears throat> Matthew's Gospel 21, and this is Anne's uh, reading for uh, this morning. And uh, this is titled in my Bible, The Triumphal Entry uh, into Jerusalem. And my Bible is not going to be the same as yours that you can see on the screen. But bear with me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this is the New King James Version. And uh, now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the, on the road, Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. May God bless to us uh, this reading from his word this morning. So as, as you all know the passage that uh, Howard's just read for us is what happened in Jerusalem on the day that we now call Palm Sunday which we celebrate today and obviously it marks the beginning of what we call uh, these days Holy Week uh, leading up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Uh, and uh, <coughs> We know that there was lots of joyful praising from the crowd as Jesus came into Jerusalem, but we are also aware that that praising changed into, right, away with him, crucify him by the end of the week. So uh, my title for today is Hosanna or Crucify, to which crowd do you belong? To which crowd do you belong? Uh, I'd like to thank Tim for doing my PowerPoint this morning and also Callum's done some tweaking to it as well while we've been here this morning. So take that out of my way. <laughs> right, okay. So as, as, as you can see, I want to concentrate on the, the two crowds and the, what, what would you have shouted on that day or during the course of the week that followed? And when I say which crowd would you identify with, I don't mean that which crowd in your most spiritual moments, you know what I mean by that, you know, when you're feeling close to God or whatever, that you might profess that you would shout with, or what I really mean is the crowd that your lifestyle most closely identifies with. 
So are you, is your lifestyle closely identified to the ones that yelled at the top of their voice, Hosanna, all right? Or does your lifestyle really reflect more closely the people that wanted to bring Jesus down by the end of the week? So that, that's, that's where I want your thoughts to be this morning. So to help us go through that sort of thought process, there are five groups of people that are sort of included in this sort of storyline from Palm Sunday through to certainly till that Jesus is crucified or condemned to death anyway. So number one, all right, some people were the ones that wanted to ignore Jesus. That the Romans, they would have felt superior to this lowly teacher from Nazareth and that he wasn't really worthy of their attention. They didn't want to, you know, didn't want, as long as he didn't rock their boat too much, they weren't bothered about him. But as the week went by, the Roman governor, Pilate, must have hoped that if Jesus, that if he ignored the Jesus problem, that it would just sort of go away. However, he, he wasn't given that option, all right, because he gets dragged into the storyline because the Jews that wanted Jesus crucified couldn't give the crucifixion sentence. They had to have it sanctioned by uh, Pilate as the Roman official. So it's clear that, uh, and so in Luke 23, sorry, we read, then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus to Pilate. And Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, you have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in him. He was determined he wasn't going to get his hands dirty. And, he, and kind of when he got, got, did get him dirty, he asked for a bowl so he could, you know, wash his hands of the whole thing. He, he just didn't want to be involved. But the Jewish leaders were determined that they were going to get Pilate involved. And so in John 19 verse 12, it said, Pilate sought to release Jesus, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So it was this thought eventually of being out of favour with Caesar that made it impossible for, uh, for Pilate to ignore Jesus any longer. He had to come to a point where he made a decision and we all know what that decision was. He was swayed by the, the shouts of the crowd and the fact that he didn't want to displease Caesar. He was in a position of um, responsibility and authority and he liked that position, didn't want to lose it. So his choice was to offer Jesus up and command him to be crucified. That was his choice. What's yours? What is your choice? Were you kind of hoping that you would be able to ignore the call of Jesus on your life? That, you know, a lot of us have been here uh, all, you know, through uh, great chunks of our life. Was there a point perhaps in your life where you really wished that you could just ignore Jesus? And if you'd, if you'd been given the choice, you wouldn't have bothered to come to church. Perhaps your parents made you go. And you, you, you know, but you would have preferred to ignore Jesus. Perhaps you still prefer to ignore Jesus. You sit in the chair, but you're not really listening or responding 
as you should. So that's the first one. All right. Some people wanted to ignore Jesus. Second one, some of the crowd wanted to use Jesus. They wanted to use him to their own event, uh, their own agenda. And uh, amongst those were the zealots who wanted him to be like a military liberator. The zealots or Jewish nationalists like Judas Maccabees, for instance, had fought in years gone by to restore the honour of Jerusalem and the, the nationhood of Israel. There were others too, that, such as Theudas and Judas the Galilean that are mentioned uh, in Acts chapter 5. Gamaliel talks about them in Acts chapter 5. People such as these were desperate for someone to come along and kick out the Roman oppressors. The multitude had made Jesus, in their minds at least, the conquering hero like these others that had gone before them in history. They thought that because he'd been working the miracles and so on, that he was preparing to come to Jerusalem and declare himself king. To the zealots in the crowd, it was obvious to them that God was about to break through into history and, yes, destroy the Romans, get rid of them. This prophet from Nazareth would surely come into Jerusalem today and proclaim himself to be the Messiah King. That's what they wanted. They wanted him as like the, the figurehead that would have dr driven through that sort of like battle to finally kick the Romans out. So I'm asking you this morning, have you got the right idea about what the role of Jesus is today even? Do you think of him just as an important figure in history? Lots of people do. They know about Jesus and they, they sort of say, oh, his teaching is amazing and so on. But it never really impacts their life. They don't see the teaching of Jesus as being something that requires a, a, a personal response from them. It's just somebody amazing from history. And, and to you, sort of, is that your sort of viewpoint? And it goes no further than that at the moment. So that's the second one. Some people wanted to use Jesus to their own end. Third one, some people wanted Jesus removed out of the equation completely. They hated him and wanted him gone. That was the people like the religious leaders who were determined to even silence the crowd on what we call Palm Sunday. The city of Jerusalem where the wealthy and Notice this, superficially religious leaders wielded their power in the city. To preserve their wealth and lifestyle, they had consorted with the conquering Romans and in so doing, they completely compromised their faith in their attempt to fall in line and be, you know, with the Roman oppressors, their, their faith had really sort of taken a huge backseat. Um, and Jesus had frequently, as you well know, pointed out the, the hypocrisy of the scribes, Pharisees and Sadducees. He had really, really ruffled their feathers in the days, weeks, months 
possibly even years of his ministry all along, he'd really ruffled their feathers because he didn't see things the same as them. And they certainly didn't see the things the way Jesus saw them. They wanted him gone because he was really disrupting their sphere of influence. So a huge shouting, cheering crowd, praising somebody who wasn't Caesar, did not reflect well on them. These city dwellers had loads to lose. They dared not displease their Roman overlords because they were, you know, hand in hand, hand with their oppressors and it would have been the, the end of their influence. In addition to that aspect, in the eyes of the religious leaders, Jesus was a real threat to their long-held religious traditions. They completely rejected the claim that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. They didn't get it. They refused to get it. They didn't want to go there at all. That, and they voiced their viewpoint vehemently at Jesus' trial. In, in John chapter 19, verses 14 and 15, uh, Pilate says, Here is your king. But they shouted, Take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. That at this point, they weren't even acknowledging that God was their king, let alone Jesus. It was Caesar is our king in an attempt to please Pilate and get him on their side so that he would give them the crucifixion order. So the loud shouts of praise as Jesus rode into Jerusalem most certainly did not come from the scribes, Pharisees and Sadducees. They weren't joining in. They were having none of this nonsense and said so openly to Jesus as he passed by on the road. In Luke chapter 19, it's recorded that they said, Teacher, talking to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to shut up, in other words. We don't want to hear this. Tell them to shut up. Just another sort of side thought here. It might be that perhaps some some of the scribes and religious leaders might have been the secret disciples like Nicodemus, perhaps, or Joseph of Arimathea. Perhaps they were worried that all the fuss going on around Jesus as he uh, came into Jerusalem would draw the unwanted attention of the Roman authorities. And so that might ultimately harm the mission of Jesus as they, as they saw it as secret disciples. Whatever was the case, whether it was the, the religious leaders who just wanted him out of the way or whether it was the secret disciples who were worried that the fuss would cause problems, it made no difference to Jesus' opinion because he says in answer to that, I tell you that if these, that's the noisy cheering crowd, should all hold their peace, what would happen? It says, in, it says in God's word that the stones would immediately cry out. Uh, Sam and um, 
um, Callum were playing a song as we as we came in, which which reflects that. And we'll play it again at the end. He says, uh, "I won't let the rocks cry out in my place. Will you let the rocks cry out in your place? Because you'll be quiet, all right?" But Jesus said, "No." He says, "If I tell all these people to shut up, all the rocks will be obliged to open their mouths and sing praise to God instead." So that was his response. How do you respond? <laughs> Would you rather that Jesus didn't actually ruffle your feathers and, and sort of stir up things inside your mind that you don't really want to address? Uh, are you too sober and dignified to give Jesus the kind of praise that he deserves? I sometimes think that we are. <laughs> Right, we don't mean you know we don't like to make too much of a show of praising Jesus, but these folks weren't ashamed, were they? Right, they ripped down the palms and they threw their clothes over the road and over the back of the donkey, and they were exuberant in their praise and, and weren't ashamed to to be like that. And when I was thinking about this, it, my mind sort of went to the passage in 2 Samuel chapter 6 in the story of David, and it record, the Bible records this. And David danced. I haven't seen much dancing recently. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. I did, actually. I saw you two this morning. Thank you, Linda and Vanessa. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing his priestly garment. And David and all the people of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. And when she saw King David, she leapt and praised as well. No. Right, when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. She thought, what's he up to? making a fool of himself in front of everybody. She was not happy at all. So which person would you put yourself? In which camp would you put yourself? Which scene best reflects you? Will you praise God with every fibre of your being? Or are you contemptuous of such a display of praising God? Are you a David or are you a Michael? somewhere in the middle probably all right but that's just a thought all right that sometimes i don't think that we really kind of let ourselves go and praise god perhaps as we could so that's another that's the another one so that was the ones that wanted jesus out of the way jesus removed from the whole thing number four two more slightly more positive well very much more positive ones so some wanted to obey Jesus and one of those was the owner of the donkey because he readily obeyed so in any project that we start we obviously have to have the right resources you know the right craft stuff the right uh, stuff at the back you know all this clobber at the front and so on we have to have the right resources so for his arrival in Jerusalem at Passover Jesus needed a couple of donkeys 
what? What does he suddenly need two donkeys? Well, Jesus, we know, knew all of the prophecies that concerned himself. He refers to them frequently. <clears throat> and so he consciously set about fulfilling all of the prophecies that he knew referred to him. And centuries earlier, as Howard read, um, that's recorded in the Matthew version, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, tells that the person who comes in triumph into Jerusalem will be riding on a donkey. Jesus knew where he would be able to find the donkeys that he needed. They belonged to someone that Jesus knew of because he tells the disciples to go and, go and fetch them. Perhaps this person who owned the donkeys was one of the many unidentified disciples that we read of in the scriptures, you know, not the, the main 12, some of the others that followed Jesus in the work or supported his ministry. <clears throat> I thought it was interesting here that to think that Jesus, in a sense, he could have commanded, he had the authority to command the use and the borrowing of the donkeys. He could have gone along himself and said, I want them. And they, they probably would have given them because he commanded it. But in this situation, he sent someone else and he chose to give the power to the owner of the donkeys to refuse their use. He could have said no, the disciples, when they said, oh, even though they got Jesus' explanation, you know, oh, the Lord needs it. He could still have said no, couldn't he? All right, and Jesus kind of allowed that, that he had the opportunity to refuse. In the passage that Howard read at the start, we kind of eavesdrop on this planning conversation between Jesus and his two disciples. This is what he said, I'll just read it again. Jesus said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And notice it says, and he. So as a particular person, and he will send them at once. No faffing, no, oh, I don't know. Oh, there's only little, you know, it's only little donkey. No faffing, he sent them at once. Now Jesus had the pleasure of knowing that this owner would send his donkeys immediately and without creating a big fuss. He wanted, the donkey owner wanted to obey the master. What about you? What about me? Are, are we willing to allow Jesus to use all that we are, all that we have in his service? Will we give him the same pleasure this thought has really, <coughs> really settled on my mind this week. The thought that Jesus must have been really pleased that, that the man sent the donkeys for him to use. It gave him pleasure to see the obedient response from the man. So what, what, what pleasure are, we got, are you planning to give Jesus in your obedience? I think that's a lovely thought that we can, can actually give God and Jesus Pleasure in the way that we respond to what we hear and what we're able to do with our life.
So let that thought, if, if nothing else, perhaps rest on your heart. And then uh, finally, the fifth one is that some people wanted to worship Jesus. And obviously this is the crowd of disciples on Palm Sunday. The areas all around Jerusalem would have been overcrowded, really overcrowded with pilgrims at Passover. Uh, villages like Bethany, where Jesus stayed, which is just a sort of couple of miles or so from Jerusalem, would have been heaving, a bit like Bethlehem was heaving when Jesus was born. Uh, many pilgrims would have travelled and camped outside Jerusalem ahead of the Passover celebrations. And the Garden of Gethsemane on the west side of the Mount of Olives between Bethany and Jerusalem, you can look it up on a map if you want, was the traditional camping area for all the people that travelled up from Galilee. So like Jesus' crowd really because he did most of his teaching and most of his work, healings, miracles and so on, in Galilee. And the Galileans were not like the uh, city people who thought they were real sophisticated. They were just unspoilt, nor ordinary people that came with Jesus. They, they would have travelled to Passover anyway, as it was required. If you lived within a certain distance, you had to go to Passover so they would have travelled up with Jesus. They'd been the ones that knew him best and they were even the ones that on some occasions you read in the Gospels that tried to make him king early. You know, let's take him and make him king now. This man's fantastic. Let's make him king now. And he said that in Mark chapter 12, for instance, verse 37, referring to the Galilean people, that they were the common people that heard Jesus gladly. They were the ones that had that sort of like willing readiness to hear and respond to what he was saying. Jesus spent the previous night, so like Saturday night, in the home of friends in Bethany. And then we read in God's word that this is the crowd that come along with him into Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 19, verses 36 and 37, it says this. And as Jesus rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples, notice these words, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, all those things they'd seen back in Galilee. They praised God for all that they'd seen Jesus do and teach. And they continued by saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So the worshipping crowd is also referred to in the passage that Howard read for us, where it says most of the crowd spread their clothes on the road. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him, so the ones that went in front of him and the ones that followed on behind, all of them were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who? Is this? And the crowds 
gave them the answer. They said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. They explained fully who he was. So what about you? What about me? Do we identify with this crowd of disciples? Is this the crowd we belong to? Out of the ones that we've looked at so far, is this the one that we belong to? Do we see Jesus like they did as someone who is worthy of our heartfelt praise and devotion? The things that perhaps we've seen him do in our life, like they saw in their life, does it cause us to give the same kind of response back to Jesus? Because of all that we've seen and witnessed in our life, are we prepared to give the same kind of praise as they did? So those are the five. So I'd like to like draw our, our, our message together. I've got some points that will come up on the screen as I read them. So for a moment now, forget about um, Palm Sunday as it was. Let's think about today. And us sitting here this morning, what is our response? So first of all, would you prefer to ignore Jesus? Does, uh, does Jesus actually make you feel uncomfortable? Because he, he, he can. Because so, some things that perhaps he says or um, teaches do make people uncomfortable because it isn't always easy listening. So would you prefer to ignore Jesus completely? And you really wish you weren't here this morning, but you kind of have to be. Secondly, uh, do you want to be like the ones who wanted to use Jesus? Uh, kind of, for you, enough of Jesus is so that you can get a pass into heaven. As long as I can get into heaven, because I say I know Jesus, that'll do me. Don't, no more. Don't, don't encroach any more into my life. As long as I can get to heaven, that's, that's all that matters. Um, next one. Would you actually prefer to see uh, Jesus removed completely from any influence in your life because you say, you know what? I want to be Lord of my own life. I'm going to make my own decisions about life. I'm not having anybody, even if it's somebody like Jesus telling me how to live my life. I'm the boss, not him. Is, is that how you feel at the moment? Now, it's better to be genuine about how you feel than pretend to be, because Jesus couldn't stand hypocrisy. So if that's how you feel, well, perhaps you need to go away and talk about that with God and ask him to start m moving your heart to a position where you can actually say, yeah, Lord, I do want you to be Lord of my life. I do want you to walk with me through life. Next one, are you like the donkey owner who really wants to obey Jesus? That gives you that when you feel that prompting in your heart to do something, you want to be readily available to respond and follow and obey what Jesus is asking you to do. And then finally, 
Do you want to join the crowd who worship Jesus? Do you want to be in that position where, uh, in a sense, you're kind of overwhelmed by what the Lord has done for you and you really do want to be amongst that worshipping crowd? Or are you more likely to be the ones that sort of shrunk back as the week developed and even if you might have been shouting Hosanna on Sunday, by Friday you were shouting crucify him, away with him, don't want anything to do with this. So today, having thought through those things, this is what I want to encourage you to be like. So I want you to take your courage in both hands and first of all, Identify with the crowd of the disciples who were ready and willing to rejoice at the coming of Jesus. Join with them, be with them. Secondly, recognise that Jesus is worthy of your heartfelt praise and devotion. Just cast your mind back over your lifetime and think of all the things that you know um, that Jesus is worthy of you responding in praise and devotion for all that he is in himself and all that he has done for you. Um, thirdly, allow yourself to praise with enthusiasm. Now, I know this is difficult here for some of us, right? But yeah, come on, let's actually make sure that we do, even if it's only on a rare occasion. <laughs> Uh, actually praise God with real enthusiasm, all right? Because he does deserve our very best, all right? Yeah, most of us got no qualms about getting up and dancing at a wedding and, you know, really going for it. But stand here in church and no way, no way. <laughs> so what's the difference? Okay, uh, so uh, what I'll just put a little point here. Is if we don't praise the Lord... What might have to happen? Going back to the rocks. The rocks might have to cry out instead because we haven't done our job right. <laughs> and then last of all, uh, obey his call on your life and allow your, in inverted commas, donkey to be used by Jesus. All right. Whatever you've got, the man had got a donkey and it's, and it's foal. What have you got that is like the equivalent of the man's donkey that you can actually offer to Jesus with gladness? You know, he gave it willingly with, uh, um, without any hesitation, All right? Are you hesitating about giving something to, um, to God because uh, you're not really sure whether, one, it's the right thing to do or... Not sure whether, you know, you could be spending your money somewhere else or, or whatever. Give God what you have and, and do it willingly. And then just finally, that, I found this quote and I, I, I was really impressed by this. So I'm going to read it a couple of times. It says, we should, um, sometimes I think we fear that in handing ourselves over to Jesus, that somehow we're going to lose the person that we are. You know, I won't be Anne Shelton anymore if I give myself too much to Jesus. That that my personality, if you like, will 
go away, diminish. Um, and uh, we, we won't become the person that we think we ought to be. I must lie. Um, I found this quote from C.S. Lewis, and it says this. The more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Because he made us. I'll just say that again. The more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Because he made us. He invented us. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. So like, for instance, I'm a mom. I'm a teacher, I'm a daughter, I'm a wife, I'm a musician, and lots of other things as well. All those different people that are within you, God has made you those, those personalities within you. He invented them, he created you. to. In God's word we read that he created the good works that we were going to be doing. He knows all about what we are going to be capable of doing because he made us, he invented us. So finishing that quote off, it says, it is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. That having given myself to Jesus, he can actually make me the person that he wants me to be, which is the real Anne. The real Anne, not the failing, um, you know, nervous, unsure, um, you know, all the things that perhaps are not so great that you think about yourself. Giving yourself to Jesus can actually make you the, the person that he really, really wants you to become and develop into. Because we don't, these things don't just happen overnight, do they? That it's a development process. Scriptures talk a lot about going on to maturity, learning through the circumstances of life, that God makes us into the image that he wants us to be, like Jesus, ultimately, of course. So, so I'm just going to read that again. The more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Because he made us. He invented us. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. And it is when I, you, turn to Christ, when I or you give up yourself to his personality, that is when you begin to have a real personality of your own. So... I hope you all have a, a blessed Holy Week this week and we look forward to Easter Sunday, well, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So thank you everyone for listening. <laughs>